Well, this is fasting lesson one, and we're entitling this Introduction to Fasting. We've written these lessons because fasting seems to be a lost art and a lost or forgotten tool, especially among Western Christians. When you travel overseas, fasting is just part of life. Where we just came back from Africa, one of our pastor friends was fasting for 21 days, and his 21-day fast was nothing but juice. Now, he did eat some peanuts about the eighth or ninth day we were with him, but mostly he just, just nothing, just to seek God. He was traveling with us. We were having big meals every meal as guests, and it was nothing to him. He said, I'm on, when we first got there, he said, this is my seventh day. He said, so I'm feeling pretty good now. Just two more weeks left to go. And it's just what they do. They don't even think anything of it. But now as Westerners, whether you're European or you're American, fasting, you think you're doing God a favor if you skip a meal. And and your flesh hates you if you skip a meal. That pastor, he had called a 21-day fast for his whole church. And even some of the other folks we were with, they were fasting with him as well. They were doing different variations, but they were going to fast for 21 days. His sons were going to fast all day and only eat one meal at the end of the day and do that for 21 days straight. And so... Just I say that to say it seems that this art of fasting and this tool, because it is a biblical tool, it's forgotten, it's lost on us. Uh, we're not, we don't promote it. In America, we have obese preachers. We have unhealthy preachers. We don't have exa- exactly what we might call role model preachers. And so because of that, we've forgotten it. We have lost, we don't even know how to use the tool of fasting. So we've written these lessons to see what the word has to say and to understand what can be accomplished through fasting and what, what does fasting do? How does it help our prayers? How is it a tool and what do we use the tool for? So let's look at our lessons here. Fasting is an essential and vital part of a strong Christian walk. There is much confusion and misunderstanding concerning the subject and practice of fasting in the body of Christ today. This curriculum is designed to help educate and ground us in the subject of biblical fasting. It should be pointed out that most other religions, though pagan, though demonized, they do fast and they practice fasting. Islam uh, is very big on fasting during the month of Ramadan and they will fast everything until they get home and the sun goes down. Islam very much revolves around the rising and setting of the sun. So Islam fasts, other religions and cults, they fast. So we wanna focus on biblical fasting. And we're going to learn lots of things about fasting with this. It's not just withholding yourself from food. That's not the point of fasting. The point of fasting is to afflict your soul. Uh, You can afflict your soul with more than just withholding food. And we'll cover that in the lessons ahead. So what is fasting? To fast means to abstain from some or all kinds of food or drink for a period of time. And that's what we refer to when we mean fasting in the Bible. You're fasting food or drink. Uh, the Bible does reference other types of fasting, such as a sexual fast. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it says, Defraud yourselves, are not one another, except you be with consent for a season. That means withhold not sexual relations in a marriage, except for a season, that you may give yourselves to prayer and fasting. So that in and of itself uh, is a, a sexual fast in the marriage where you're not going to have sexual relations. You're going to fast and abstain and take that extra time to pray together as a couple rather than make love. So that is another biblical type of fast. But we're looking at food and drink right now. Fasting can also include the abstaining from other types of behavior. It is not just limited to food and drink. We understand the term abstinence to refer to a fast of sexual intercourse until marriage. So that's a fast. To abstain or abstinence, as is taught in American culture, refers to a permanent fast of sex until marriage. 
So let's look at the biblical precedent for fasting. And this is where we have to build our foundation here. And again, we want to get this into our hearts because we as Americans or Westerners, we are all about lavishing ourselves with our desires. And the Bible teaches us that we have to keep our body under. Your body has all sorts of wonderful appetites, uh, but we're to keep them under and let them be controlled by us and not us controlled by them. The Bible says in Philippians, let your moderation be known unto all men. Moderation means you're moderate. You're not too extreme one side. You're not too extreme the other. You're moderate. And fasting is one of the things that deals with that. It should be pointed out that there is only one commanded fast in the Bible, and it is under the Old Covenant. Only one commanded fast. This fast was to be for one day on the Day of Atonement. And we point this out just to show you, just to be, give you the full study on fasting. It's one, only one biblical fast for one day. But we're going to build upon this and see where this goes. Leviticus 16, 29. And this day, this shall be a statute forever unto you, that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls and do no work at all, whether it be of your own country or of a stranger that sojourneth among you. So that's the biblical reference to the only commanded fast in the entire Bible. And that is the fast on the day of atonement. Uh, here, the term, you shall afflict your souls, is a reference to fasting. And that's what we have to learn about fasting. The point of fasting is you are afflicting your soul. You're not just keeping your flesh under. You are afflicting your soul. We fast because our stomach gets hungry and your soul is screaming out and you say, be quiet. You abstain from Coca-Cola when you love it. Your flesh is craving it. You say, shut up, soul. And you purposely afflict it. As also, as you read the Bible... And you hear about solemn assemblies. This, too, is another term for fasting. A solemn assembly, where the Bible says, call a solemn assembly. It's basically saying, let's invoke a fast. Now, uh, that is not a biblically commanded one because that was up to whoever was in charge. And we'll see that in other, uh, other lessons. But that's another biblical term. In the original language, solemn assembly also means a day of restraint. A day of restraint is a day of fasting. And you see that in Joel 1.14. So we're seeing all these Old Testament terms for fasting. Afflict your souls, solemn assembly, a day of restraint. And all this was done to honor God, to move God, to, to hear, uh, to allow the Lord to speak to you more clearly, to put your flesh under. All this was done to help God move in your midst and to honor him. Though this is the only commanded fast in the entire Bible, and though it only lasted for one day, fasting is a critical part of a strong walk with God. We understand that fasting is a critical part of a healthy Christian life for many New Testament reasons. So now we're going to come over and look at, though there's only one biblical, biblically commanded fast, we're going to look at several New Testament reasons to fast. Because uh, we don't want to be the type where we're looking to diminish the Word of God and say, well, it's only one command and therefore I don't have to do it. It's old covenant and therefore I'm free from it. Well, if you're free from fasting, then you're free from all the benefits of fasting. It's like saying, I'm free from using a vehicle. Fine, walk everywhere. Fine, freeze, get wet as you travel. We, we don't want to throw out these tools just because uh, there's only one commanded one in the Bible. We'll see a bunch of other stuff too as we study this. Even though there's only one commanded one, we know that fasting is from Genesis to Revelation. So let's look at the New Testament precedent. How, why should we as New Testament Christians fast? Number one, Jesus Christ fasted. And he fasted often. 
Matthew 4.2, Luke 4.2, this is when he was led of the Spirit of God into the wilderness and he was without food for 40 days. There was also another time where Jesus said, they have been with me this long now, three days in that instance, and they have not eaten. Well, it's also understood that Jesus had not eaten in that three-day campaign and revival on the mountain as well. So Jesus Christ fasted. We can fast. Jesus said, when you fast in Matthew, he didn't say if you fast. He said, when you fast, be not as the Pharisees. He didn't say if you choose to. So it's almost as though Jesus expected his disciples to fast. Our third point, Jesus said when the bridegroom was taken, then his disciples would fast. Jesus is the bridegroom and he has been taken up into the heavens for now. The church age is a season of needful fasting. The Pharisees came to Jesus in that day and said, why don't your disciples fast like John's do? And Jesus said, as long as the bridegroom is with them, there's no need to fast. But the day is coming when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In that day shall they fast. We're still in that day. We're in the day of no bridegroom. We're in the day of the Lord Jesus in heaven, and now we fast more than ever. Uh, Jesus also taught that some devils are only cast out by prayer and fasting. That didn't change at the cross. Those same demons have to be dealt with through prayer and fasting. Uh, when we were in Uganda, uh, Brother Brett has a neighbor outside the compound, and every day or every other day at about a certain time, you can hear this woman screaming in agony. And he said, Pastor, you hear that? I said, yeah. He said, that woman's got a devil. And I said... She sure does. It's just right, just right across the street. He said, she only screams like that at certain times and sometimes two or three times a day. And I said, isn't it amazing that in America she would be called upon, arrested, taken to the psych ward and medicated into oblivion. But here in Africa, we understand it's just a demon. And so they leave her be and nobody thinks anything of it. He says, I want to go cast it out. And he said, but every time I think about it, he said, I'm reminded of the scripture that he that goes and intermeddles with a, an affair that belongs not to him is like he that grabs a dog by the ears. And I said, well, I said, that is biblical. I said, but you could begin to ask the Lord for her. And if your heart will begin to cry out to God for her, you, he'd, he'd send you over there to cast it out. And then Brett said, he said, but then I know I'd have to pray a lot and fast a lot. I said, well, it's part of it, you know. He said, that kind would probably take a lot of prayer and fasting. And I said, you're right, probably would. So there's still certain demons that can only come out through prayer and fasting. The New Testament saints fasted. You see that in Acts 9, Acts 13, and Acts 14. The New Testament saints fasted. And if we're talking book of Acts fasting, well, then that's for us today too. Paul taught us to fast and pray. That's 1 Corinthians 7. Fasting is one of the ways a minister can commend himself. 2 Corinthians 6, 5 says, We have commended ourselves to you as the ministers of God through travailings, through fastings, through prayers, through opposition. And so through fasting, Paul said as a minister, he had commended himself as a true minister of the gospel to the Corinthian believers. He was basically saying, if you look at my resume, one of the things that proves I'm a minister is that I have fasted. And that's part of my lifestyle. I don't, I don't get Christian ministers who don't fast. As biblical as that is, how can you claim to be one and you're not somehow on a regular basis participating in the fast? It's like saying part of the word that you're called to preach doesn't apply to you. And again, we come back to the chubby American preacher. It, there, there was a recent conference among preachers here in America, and it, I don't remember the title of it, but basically they were dealing with the hard issues that nobody wants to talk about among pastors and ministers. Uh, homosexuals in your church. How do you deal with homosexuals in your church? 
Money, how do you deal with money issues? And one of the issues was obesity in the pulpit. How do you deal with fat preachers? Because fat preachers are out of the will of God. And they are bad examples to the congregation. Because the Bible does clearly teach to keep your body under, to possess your vessel, to know how to possess it under sanctification and honor. And if you stand in the pulpit and you're a fat, sloppy preacher, you're violating core doctrine. And though you have been at some point appointed to be a preacher, you're not living by example. You can't even keep your own flesh under. And so, you know, fasting would help that kind of thing. Fasting would help you keep your vessel under so that you wouldn't be a castaway. Second Corinthians eleven twenty seven, Paul said, in fastings oft. <laughs> so if Paul, the great author of most of the New Testament, said he fasted oft, I don't think we're exempt from it. Maybe unless you don't want to do things as great as Paul did. Maybe if you want to be a mediocre Christian, you can fast not. <laughs> so what can be fasted? That's just we wanted to prove New Testament scenarios, New Testament proof for fasting. We want to look for reasons to fast. And at the same time, we need to understand what can be fasted. We don't want to think it's just food all the time because some folks, food is not an issue to them. Food is neither here nor there. And not only that, but we'll also look at fasting with proper motives. There's different reasons to fast. And depending on what you're dealing with or what you're facing, that's going to dictate the purpose behind your fast. They were fasting in Uganda for the direction for the church. You could fast to cast a devil out. You could fast to break sin off your life. You could fast to get direction. We'll cover that more in other lessons. And so you have to have a reason for fasting. The last and uh, the, probably the most unbiblical reason to fast is to lose weight. That's, that's not fasting, that's dieting. And if you would just keep your flesh under every day, you could lose weight. But don't try to invoke spirituality because you want to lose weight. Live a fasted life to lose weight. So we need to understand fasting isn't just limited to food and drink. The Bible teaches us to fast other things in order to keep our appetites under control. This is called living a fasted life. Uh, Kenneth E. Hagin was very big. He taught often on living a fasted life. So let's look at Daniel. Here's our first example. What can be fasted? Daniel fasted pleasant bread, flesh or meat, and wine, tasty drink, for three weeks. And this is taught often in churches, the Daniel's fast. It's a three-week fast, and basically you're fasting things that are pleasant to you. You're eating what you, what you need, but it isn't what you like. You might be eating oatmeal. You might be eating broccoli. You might be eating chicken when you hate chicken or tuna fish. You're eating, so you're getting calories, but you're really just afflicting the, the lusts of your flesh and the dainties and the tasties. Pleasant bread is any food you like a whole lot. And so Daniel's fast is one way you can fast for a long time, but still get the nutrients you need and still have the energy you need. And really, that, this is a mental kind of thing. This thing is wearing your head out. It's wearing your flesh out. I, I decided last night I was going to start fasting sugar because having come back from Africa, my body changed so much in sh such a short amount of time eating such healthy food that I came back here and I just, my body has not settled yet eating American food again. And I said, honey, I'm going to look into eliminating sugar just because in Africa there's no sugars to be had really unless it's just brown sugar for coffee or tea. And I just, I want to look into it. Well, don't you know I got up this morning, I said, you know what, I want live cereal, which is just full of sugar. I said, I'm going to do more research on this. My flesh wanted it so bad. But we were just talking with our missionaries there 
And she was telling us she has lost a lot of hair, which is a very common occurrence with missionaries going overseas. Their diet changes so drastically and so healthy, a bunch of hair falls out and new hair begins to grow. And this is a very common occurrence with missionaries when they go overseas to much healthier diets, more basically from ground to mouth kind of diet. You know, we don't do ground to mouth. We do ground to processing plant, to refinery, to shipping, to packaging, to irradiating, to uh, potassium sorbating, to Walmart, to microwave, to mouth. (laughs) It's amazing we have any hair. Daniel ate during this time, but he refrained from the things his flesh craved, but not what he needed for nourishment. He drank liquids, but not wine. Now, we're not talking about alcoholism there. We're talking about that was the high-end Coca-Cola, sweet tea, high-end coffee. It was the dainty, delectable thing. So that's a Daniel's fast. Daniel fasted the king's meat and wine indefinitely. He, did, he fasted dainties for three weeks, but anything that came from the king, he never touched the rest of his life. This can represent fasting anything possibly causing you to pervert judgment. You can fast a friendship because it might pervert your judgment. You you might have to fast a, a television program because it perverts your judgment. You might fast the news because it could pervert your judgment. In those days, you're eating at the king's table. The king had his hand in your pocket. He had possession of you because he was feeding you. Even coming from overseas, some of the perverse missionaries over there are perverting the judgment of the local authorities. And they're acknowledging, look, we don't like this white missionary, but they pay our bills. We don't like this white missionary, but they're funding our police precinct. That's perverting judgment. Those police officers would be wise to fast that missionary, get them out of their life. It's a shame to think white people in the name of Jesus are overseas perverting things. First Corinthians teaches married people to fast from sex from time to time. Uh, That's a very biblical fast. I, I do always like to point out that, of course, infers or it assumes that you're having so much sex that to fast it, you would put a stop into it. But as it is, most, uh, most marriages are so dysfunctional, they might be having sex once a month. And so, you know, that's a fast. That's a permanent fast. That's not a good one. But now there are some marriages that are healthy and some couples that are very sensual. They're having sex every night of the week and they can't go without it. Paul would say to that couple, how about you fast this for a couple of days? Put your flesh under so the devil does not tempt you for your incontinence. And that way you can seek the Lord for a season. But there's a sexual fast the Bible teaches. But then again, if you live a permanent sexual fast, you probably don't need to fast it even more. You probably need to start partaking of that buffet called conjugal rights. (laughs) Philippians teaches us to be known for our moderation. And what that means is you don't overindulge in anything. And we're all, especially here in the States, where anything we could ever want is at our fingertips to the nth degree, no matter what you decide you like a little bit, you can overindulge in it. If it's chocolate, if it's coffee, if it's a Ferris wheel, you could ride a Ferris wheel a hundred times if you wanted to. If it's video games, if it's it's, uh, downloading a TV show, you could download the whole season and watch the whole season in one sitting. And that, you would need to fast that. For me, I like the news on my phone. If I check, I get into these bad seasons where if I check the news once, I'll check it seven times a day on my phone. That's not moderation. So I've got to cut that back and fast it. 
so we're to be known for our moderation. In fact, uh, the Bible says in the Greek language that the righteous, mature man or woman wants what they, knows what to want when, and when to want it and how they ought to want it. Everything is in moderation. The, the mature person, the moderate person wants what they should, when they should, how they should, as much as they should. Now, we don't know that. Our flesh doesn't know that. Our flesh wants to take everything and run it to the horizon, run it to the sunset, and never be satisfied with it. The problem with that is when you overindulge in something, you get to where you despise it. You say, ugh, I absolutely hate this now. In fact, years ago, I knew a lady who was trying to do a weight loss thing, and one of the, it was a psychological thing. And what they did is they told you at your first session to psychologicalize your mind to get off of your food habits, bring your favorite food. And so this woman took some uh, peanut M&Ms and their job was to put it in their mouth and chew it for like 30 minutes. And you chewed this food to, be, to where it became totally disgusting in your mouth. And the whole impact was to try to give you what you want to where you hated it. And that's what happens with our flesh. It doesn't know how to moderate things. Our flesh is an animal and it, it's going to take whatever it likes and just fully pour it on itself till it hates it. It's that, flesh is that stupid. And so what it's up to you and I as Christians through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the, our own will to rein these things in and make them more valuable. In the scarce, scarcity or rarity of an item, it becomes more valuable. You know, if you can only have chocolate once a week, when you get to have that chocolate, it's so valuable to you. Ice cream's the same way. But we've all sat down and eaten something to where we like, oh, if I have another bite, I'm going to puke. Our flesh will do that with anything and everything. So we have to be moderate. We should fast sin. There's one we never think of. Abstain from, any, from it or anything even looking like it. Thessalonians talks about abstain from the very appearance of evil. One of the reasons we fast is to teach our bodies to go without. And so when you fast food and you, let's say you fast for five days and you're training your body to not eat. And every time your flesh wants to rise up and eat, you say, no, in Jesus name, we're fasting three more days. And your flesh rises up. No, in Jesus name, we're fasting two more days. You're actually conditioning yourself to fast sin. So the next time your flesh is tempted to go look at something you shouldn't or go say something you shouldn't or go eat something you shouldn't or whatever your sin is, you're already trained and you're, you know how to tell your body no and your body knows how to receive the no. And so another aspect of fasting is you're training yourself to, de to defeat sin because you're used to denying and you're used to denying and you did it with something good like food. And if you can deny your body from something good like food, you ought to have the conditioning in you to deny yourself from something evil like sin. And so let's say like for me, I like coffee and I go without coffee for five days and every day my flesh says, let's go to Starbucks or let's hit the Nespresso maker. And I say, no, in Jesus name, we're fasting. No. Well, after so many days of doing that, the next time my flesh wants to go do something sinful, I can say, no, if we can whip coffee for five days, I can whip this for half an afternoon. It helps us to get the victory over sin. So we should fast sin. Dr. Barclay, my pastor, encourages Christians to fast your attractions so that they don't become distractions. That's probably one of the most balanced, sound, wise approaches to fasting. Anytime something begins to distract you, fast it. 
It could be your favorite uh, album. It could be a TV show. It could be a video game, a hobby, a habit. It could be exercise. We know in this nation, people get obsessed with exercise. They go crazy if they can't exercise, and that's not healthy. Brother Hagen encouraged Christians to live a fasted life. And so you live a life that's always being, you're fasting something. One of my pastors, Pastor Trey, tall, skinny man. He was about 6'4", probably weighed 130 pounds. He used to say, I never finish my plate just to do it. He, he wasn't worried about gaining weight. I don't think he could gain weight if he ate 10,000 calories a day. His, his metabolism was a furnace. <laughs> but he taught me, he said, I never finish a plate. I always leave a bite or two on my plate just to do it just to tell my flesh, we're not finishing that. Now, obviously, when you're raising kids, you say, finish your plate. You're trying to do something else. You're trying to accomplish something else. But when your flesh wants more and more and more, it's often a good thing to live, live that kind of fasted life and say, I'm not finishing that last bite just to do it, just because I can. Now, see, that's the problem for me because my mindset is if I go out to public and I pay money for food, I'm going to eat all of it. And if it's all you can eat, then that's, I've got to obey all you can eat. <laughs> that, was, that was the sign. I got to submit to that. I paid for it and I haven't had all I can eat yet. There's always more room. And so you fast your interactions, you live a fasted life. And for some folks, it would, it would be a good thing to live a fasted life and just leave something. Uh, here in America, the biggest issue is portion control. It's not what we eat. It's how much of it we eat. And, and the part of that also is the sedentary lifestyle we live. We don't, we don't walk anywhere. We drive everywhere. We don't ride bikes. We don't skate. We don't run. We drive and we fight for the closest parking spot at Walmart. We'll circle 12 times, burn a half a tank of gas to get five parking places closer because <laughs> we're just that lazy. And as while I'm on it, some of those hefty people, they have those hover around carts to go shopping with because they're too lazy to walk around. And most of them are just so obese, if you'd walk around, you could lose some weight and walk around some more. And the other thing I think is very insulting to those people is you know how much they're gonna eat and you put this little bitty grocery basket on the front end, <laughs> like that's gonna get them through the afternoon. That doesn't even hold 5,000 calories of groceries. Their body needs 5,000 calories to breathe before breakfast. Lord help them. I have known people to fast the news, sports, soft drinks, video games, media, sweets, coffee, etc. And I might throw this out there, just my personal opinion. It's probably a good thing that you're always fasting something. You're always keeping your body on the mix-up. This week I'm fasting news. Next week I'm fasting social media. Then I'm going to go on a juice fast and I'm going to eat nothing but juices to keep my body under. And then I'm going to fast video games. Right now I'm fasting sweets, I'm fasting chocolates, I'm fasting coffee, always fasting something. It keeps your body constantly under. The opposite of that is the American mindset, which is give your flesh everything it wants. Give it, give it, give it. And, and work just to satisfy your flesh. That's not what we're here to do. We're not here to work to satisfy flesh. So let's look at fasting. Here's our last major section. Fasting with proper motive. As with any biblical activity, fasting can become a religious dead work. We want to make sure that when we fast, it's, it's not a religious dead work. It's not to brag. It's not to, to boast of anything. We're doing it for proper motives. We don't care if anybody knows. And there's a time to tell people, especially if you're married or folks are having you over for dinner, you need to let them know. 
hey, I'm fasting so they don't prepare a meal for you and you don't partake of it. Uh, but we want to make sure we do things with a proper motive. Otherwise, there's no reward for it. By this, we mean a deed that should accomplish something spiritually powerful, but it fails to do so because it is being done with the wrong motive. We don't want to brag or boast of fasting unless, unless we're telling what the Lord did through our fast. But even like traveling in Africa, so many of these folks we were with were fasting and, and they were telling us, but it wasn't a prideful thing. They were just letting us know, hey, I don't mean to offend you, sir, but I'm fasting for 21 days. Just bring me juice and coffee, please. They weren't trying to toot their pharisaical horn and look at me, I'm fasting, but it was just a, a matter of fact. And you have to because he called the whole church to fast. So now everybody in the church is fasting 21 days. How can you get into pride when everybody around you is supposed to be fasting? So there's an important or a proper time to share it and let your wife know, let your husband know, let your kids know we're fasting or I'm fasting. But at the same time, we want to make sure we're not boasting this thing. We must be careful to fast with the right motives and heart condition. Matthew 6, 16 through 18 says, Moreover, when you fast, not if you do, but when you do, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. That lets me know that there is a true reward for fasting. If their reward is people know they're fasting, then there must be another reward for those of us who fast with proper motive. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy father which is in secret, and thy father which sees in secret shall reward thee openly. So there again, there's an open reward for fasting. But we're not doing this to appear spiritual. And we're not, you know, oh, I'm so hungry, or would you look at me? You want to, in a sense, hide that thing because you're trying to accomplish something in private. Uh, I remember one time in college I was fasting. I was just going to do a three-day fast. And, of course, I was young and had never done anything like it. And so it was like the end of the world. And by the third day, my tongue was white and uh, my breath smelled. And it was just hard on my little inexperienced fasting body. And my buddy Greg came up to me and said, you're fasting, aren't you? And I didn't want to tell him. You know, I was afraid I was going to ruin my reward. And I said, how can you tell? He said, because your tongue's all white and yucky looking. <laughs> And he'd done a lot of fasting so he could recognize it. Jesus was teaching us about some pious individuals who only fast to gain recognition from men and not God. We must be careful not to fast for man's sake. Man can't help us anyway. But we must fast unto the Lord for he is our help. So we want to make sure that we're doing this with a proper motive. And the future lessons that we cover on this. We talk about the different things fasting accomplishes and those become your motive for fasting. Isaiah 58 specifically, Isaiah 58 says you can fast to break sin. You can fast to, uh, to cause healing to come. You can fast to get direction from the Lord. You can fast to overcome emotional grief, which is one of the biggest areas of fasting that is so is never taught. In fact, when you study fasting in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, there are three main reasons to fast. And when you study those main stories, they're broken down almost perfectly into even thirds. A third of the reasons people fasted in the Bible was to get direction. A third of the reason people fasted in the Bible was to repent of sin. And the other third of the reason, thirds of the people who fasted, the reason was to overcome emotional trauma. David fasted when his boy died. 
David fasted when Saul died. You see this over and over again. In fact, when you study Isaiah 58 in the Greek, and we'll do that in the other lessons, you'll find out that one of the first reasons Isaiah 58 teaches to fast is to break the chains of emotional hurt. And we're not taught that in America. We don't understand that. But that's in another one of our lessons. So these, we gotta, when we fast, we have to declare in our heart, what is our purpose for fasting? Am I fasting to get direction? That's probably, there's probably two reasons I fast the most. Number one, to get direction. And number two, just to keep my flesh under. I'll fast coffee just so it doesn't have the power over me. And I'll fast the news just to break it. I'm not seeking God for any other reason. I'm doing it just to keep my desires under. But probably the most prominent reason I fast is to hear clearly from God. Whenever I'm talking about going overseas, I'll fast every Friday till I get clarity. I'll fast the whole day and pray for a good hour or two just to hear clearly. In the church, when I've had to make decisions for people to help people, I'll fast all day just to hear clearly. Lord, how do I help this person? What is their answer? That's the main reasons I fast. I don't really have emotional trauma to get over and I pray I never have to, but sometimes folks go through that. Luke 18, 11 and 12, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. I thank thee, God, that I am not as other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Now, there's nothing wrong with fasting and there's nothing wrong with tithing, obviously, but this guy was justified in it. And we know from the rest of the parable, Jesus said, this guy didn't go away justified. The publican did. So we don't get in pride over this thing. I'm trying to show you that it's just basic Christianity. Fasting is something every Christian should do in and out of the seasons that they're in. I would say any Christian that doesn't fast at least probably once a quarter, something's wrong with your Christian walk. You're missing out on something. There's always something that needs to be accomplished that only prayer and fasting will do in your life. This Pharisee thought fasting and tithing was more important than having a good heart. Jesus said this tithing and fasting Pharisee was not justified nor made right just because he fasted and tithed. The Lord looks on the heart. So Isaiah 58 here. They say to honor you, we had special days when we fasted, but you didn't see it. We humbled ourselves to honor you, but you didn't notice. But the Lord says you do what pleases yourself on these days. And you are unfair to your workers. On these special days when you fast, you argue and fight and hit each other with your fists. You cannot do these things as you do now and believe your prayers are heard in heaven. Maybe they're hitting each other. I love that new century version. He said you hit each other with your fists. They must have been pretty grumpy. <laughs> they hadn't eaten in three or four days. Mama bear is unhappy. Papa bear is unhappy. And they get to punching each other. Like God's going to hear your prayers and fastings when you're so grumpy and irritable and crabby that you're throwing literal fists at each other. We gotta keep our hearts right in this. I was really amazed, we were all impressed that the pastor we were with, he had, he, when we started the, on our trip to the village, he was on day seven, and we were there Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, so he was there eight, nine, 10, 11. He was there four days, no food, and that was days eight through 11, and he never complained, he was so joyful, he, he was full of life, his countenance glowed. You never knew it had been 11 days without solids. We did rag him, though, about eating some peanuts about day 10. But he said, I don't count this. It's not helping me anyway. <laughs> hey, man, more power to you. I've never done anything quite like that, to just drink sodas and coffee and tea and no solids except for a handful of peanuts. And he had 10 days left to go. 
That's serious fasting. And it's a powerful thing. You just have to make sure you keep your heart right. Fasting should be a time of holy consecration unto the Lord. We're talking about keeping your motives right here. You're not fasting to show off. You're not fasting uh, to impress anybody. Uh, honestly, it's not worth it. That kind of misery on your flesh and your soul is not worth it. Mature people, they fast to keep their flesh under, to cause healing to come, to get over stuff, to get direction. It's between them and God because only God can help you. If you're going without food, I can't help you. Even a pat on the back and a hug and a yeah, you ain't going to make you feel any better. It's got to be God. And so folks, they just kind of confuse this thing. And also to give the balance of it, there's nothing wrong, like we said previously, of letting people know, hey, honey, I'm fasting. In fact, this week I'm fasting Friday. And I don't care who knows because I'm not doing it for you anyway. I've told my wife, honey, I'm fasting Friday because we need some direction on this and I want this thing to change so I'm not eating anything all day. Well, I told her so she doesn't fix my lunch, so we don't plan a dinner date or anything. So she can, whatever she does for me as my wife, she can tailor it around the fact that I've got to seek God on some stuff. I don't mind to tell you. I, I'm not trying to be in pride. It's just, just how it is. That way, if the guys want to go get me coffee, hey, guys, I'm fasting. No coffee on Friday. And that way you just let folks know so they don't waste money and you don't inconvenience them. Fasting should be a time of holy consecration unto the Lord. Fasting should change your lifestyle when you are fasting. If you are not prepared to have your daily routine changed up a bit, then you are not ready for a season of fasting. And one of the reasons, and we'll cover this more in other lessons. This is just our introductory lesson. Fasting should change your daily routine. If you're missing meals, you ought to be taking that meal time to pray and seek God. Because you can miss a meal because you're just so busy with work and don't think anything of it. So that's, 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 that's unbeneficial there. It doesn't benefit you. But if you fast and you're missing meals or you're skipping the news or you're not watching your sitcom or you're not playing video games, that should affect your life. You ought to be spending that time in prayer. You should be spending that time in Bible study. You should be different. And until you're ready to have your day altered to work on whatever you're seeking God for, you're not ready to really fast. All you're doing is withholding calories or entertainment from yourself. And so you have to be prepared to have your day mixed up. May the Lord enlighten our eyes to this great spiritual tool called fasting. We have more lessons in this. This is just the first one of, of five. And so, that, like I said, this is a lost art. This is a tool the American church, for who for the most part has uh, forgotten and we need to make sure we rekindle it. Every trip I've tried to make to Africa that I couldn't go on, I discovered it through fasting. Uh, I discovered it through fasting coupled together with prayer to figure out how to solve some of the biggest problems this church was facing. I did not hear from God any way until I fasted. And then the second I fasted, it instantly came. It was so simple. I was fasting uh, just a day to get direction for a situation. I didn't even make it to lunch, and he was already talking to me about it. I had just set my heart to afflict my soul. And by lunchtime, I took my lunch break. I was just praying in tongues in my office. And he spoke to me very clearly what to do. And I went, huh, now I get to eat dinner. <laughs> I was happy. <laughs> I was prepared to go the whole day, but I got my answer by lunch. I, thought, I think I ate lunch after that. And so that's what we have to be prepared to do. The other lessons will go into greater depth. And so uh, we do believe you'll get a hold of those and listen to them. Father, I thank you for this first lesson on fasting. I thank you, Lord, that you enlighten our eyes and our ears and our heart to the truths of this powerful tool called fasting. Bless these listeners, Lord. Bless these students in Jesus' name. Amen.